we are in week two of our series, Same God. But before I go into it, I also wanna remind you that we are now halfway through our praying, our 15 days of prayer and fasting as a church. So maybe you weren't here last week or haven't gotten the communication on it, or maybe this is your first time being here today. It is not too late to jump in uh, and be a part of our 15 days of praying and fasting, whether you're here or watching in Maui today. What we're doing is we have, if you have your, your phone out, you can go to that QR code, and we have a digital devotional that we're doing for 15 days through the 15 Psalms or Songs of Ascent. And these are the songs that um, the, the Jewish people would sing on their pilgrimage on the way to Jerusalem as they would ascend toward Jerusalem. And we thought it was a pretty cool idea just as we're going through this prayer and fasting time um, to go along with the Psalms of Ascent. So every day we're praying for something, believing for something. Uh, the Bible tells us that some things only come through prayer and fasting. And, and so whatever you're believing for, pray and fast something uh, over the next few days, and we're believing for absolute miracles. We're already hearing some really cool stories. We cannot wait to share those with you. Uh, so again, today, we're in week two of the series, Same God. And so if you weren't here last week, the whole idea with this series is today we serve, in the present time, we serve the same God today as the God we read about in the Bible. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you grateful for that? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that we read about in the Bible that did all of those amazing, um, mighty, miraculous things through individuals and the people of God back then is the same God we worship today. And, and so I think that's a very, very, very powerful thing. Um, so today, we're gonna be in Judges chapter six, uh, predominantly, so if you wanna turn your Bibles there, um, it, all the scriptures will be on the screen today if you don't have your Bible, but we're gonna be looking at a, a certain man in the Old Testament who, if you've been in church for very long, you might be familiar with the name Gideon. Um, Gideon is the main character we're gonna be looking at today. At this time in Israel, there's chaos going, and I'll be talking about that in a minute, but Gideon is known as a biblical underdog. He was not qualified on paper for what God was calling him to do. He was insecure. He had a lot of things going against him, but God was still calling him to be a mighty warrior and to do great things for the kingdom of God. When I was studying for this message, one of the things we see in scripture is that Gideon was from the least of the 12 tribes, Manasseh, and he was also from the least clan from within his tribe, and it also says he was the least in his family. But when you look at the original wording, theologians believe that least in the family actually means youngest. So these same theologians, um, their best guess would be somewhere, he would be somewhere between the ages of 17 or 18 years old. I think it's fascinating when we go back and look at these Bible stories, how young some of these people were when God called them to do amazing things. Um, in light of that, I, I love the fact that our church has such a strong emphasis on the next generation. We call it next-gen ministry, but in reality, they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Do you believe that? And so 17 and 18-year-olds can absolutely fulfill the call of God on their lives. So when I first started outlining this series. A couple months ago, uh, we were looking at this message today, and when I had studied and found how young uh, Gideon was, that he was 17 or 18 years old, um, I looked at my own family, and I have a 17-year-old son who's feeling a calling into ministry, and so I said, Aiden, 
Would you wanna tag team preach on that Sunday in January with me and preach on Gideon? And he said, yes. So at this time, I want you to help me welcome my oldest son, Aiden, to the stage. Are you still glad you said yes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Aiden, um, I, I mentioned that you're 17 years old, but tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I'm a senior at La Cueva High School. Um, I work at Discount Tire, and I think Mike's back there, the best boss ever right there, yes. <laughs> yep. There's like how many guys from the church work there right now? Nine. Like nine? That's I crazy. think nine. All my best friends, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What else? What are, you, what are you gonna do after you graduate? What do you think? Um, I'll probably stay here for the first week, or not work. <laughs> week? <laughs> for the first year, and then we'll see what happens after that. Awesome, all right, well cool. Hey, um, I'm very excited to be preaching with you, and we're gonna, we're gonna have fun today, but it's also a, a very serious topic, uh, because it, we've all dealt with insecurities and things that we have to overcome uh, when pursuing the call of God. But I wanna give you a little bit of uh, context on where we're at in this story, um, where we're at in the story of the Old Testament with the people of God. So I mentioned we're gonna be in Judges chapter six, but in Judges chapter five, there is the very famous story of Deborah, the, the prophetess, and she was the leader of Israel that led Israel to major victories in Judges chapter five. And so the people of God, last week I talked about Moses and, and all the Israelites, the people of God going through the Red Sea. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They're finally in the promised land. They're in the promised land right now in this story. But I wanna, I, I think it's interesting. So they had a really good season toward the end there in Judges chapter five. This is how Judges chapter five ends with this exact verse in verse 31. It says, then there was peace in the land for 40 years. That's a great way to end a chapter. But the problem is, the problem is, Judges 6.1 begins with something else. Yeah, so Judges 6.1 says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Judges 6.2 then goes to say, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. The Israelites were in their promised land, and now they're hiding in caves and living in fear and exile when they're supposed to be in their land. I think it's so interesting that they're in their promised land. I mean, literally living in the promise that God has for them. They're exiles in their own land. They're hiding. There's chaos everywhere. I don't know about you, but I felt like that before. I'm where God's called me to be, but why do I still feel like a stranger in the promise that God has for me. So it's a dark time in the story of Israel in the Old Testament, um, but in dark times, God raises up leaders to make a difference. He raises up deliverers. He, he raised up Moses. He, in this story, raises up Gideon to do something about the circumstances, and today he is still raising people up today to do something about where we're at as a society. So this is a story about God making a mighty warrior. And we're gonna, we have four points today. We'll be rotating through the four points. And here is point number one. When God makes a mighty warrior, he, number one, he starts by getting our attention. He starts by getting our attention. I, I wanna read these uh, couple verses to you from Judges chapter three, starting in, or Judges chapter six, starting in verse three. Whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, the Midianites would come with the Amalekites and the desert tribes and attack them. 
They would camp on the land and destroy the crops as far south as the area around Gaza. They would take all the sheep, cattle, and donkeys and leave nothing for the Israelites to live on. They would come with their livestock, with their livestock in tents, as thick as locusts. They and their camels were too many to count. So the Israelites have their land. It's, it's their promised land. But, but here come these other tribes. The moment they plant their crops, the moment they're about to receive blessing, these invading tribes, the enemy that God had given them into the hands of, comes in and all of a sudden, chaos happens. And then after all of those things that are going on because of the Midianites, verse seven starts with this. And I found it interesting when I was studying this this last week. Starts with this in verse seven. Then, so after all of that, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help against the Midianites. What do you see as the problem in that verse? They waited until after all of those things. Why does it take our lives in going into chaos, things falling apart for us to finally get to the place where we go, then I'll cry out to God. What would have happened if they went to God before all of that stuff happened? And we have the same problem today. Many of us, we're human. Oftentimes, we will use prayer as a last resort rather than a first step. And, and it's a huge issue that so many people have in their lives. And there's this pattern that we see over and over and over again in the people of God in the Old Testament. And the truth is we see it in so many of our lives today. The pattern is this, and we, we just read about it. The pattern is God blesses his people. That then after he blesses his people, they turn their backs on God. Then the next part of the phase is that God gives them over to their own desires. They say, I don't want you, we're blessed. God, I don't want you, I don't need you. And God says, well, I'll give you over to your own desires. Then destruction comes. Then they cry out to God. Then God blesses them. Then they turn their backs on God. Then God gives them over to their desires. Then destruction comes. Then they cry out to God. Then God blesses them. See how this is going? And we look at that, some of you guys are like, man, that sounds like their life. You know, like we don't wanna look at us like, that sounds like their life. God blesses us and the temptation when we are in a season of blessing is to lose our dependence on God. And when that happens, we will find ourselves in seasons of what could be destruction, but God in this story, like we see, uses those things to get our attention. He uses those things to get our attention. And the truth is, he could, in your situation today, whatever chaos is in your life, he could be using that to get your attention. So let me ask you this. And whenever we have a problem going on in our lives, this is the first question we need to ask. And we've gotta be honest with ourselves though. We look at the problem, we say, the problem I'm facing today, is it truly because of outside circumstances? Or could I be facing this problem because of my own decisions and actions? Because if you're like me, our, our natural response when you're going through a problem is never to look at me. I mean, we don't do that as humans. When we're going through a problem, we go, man, if they only would have. That came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that at all. I mean, it came out of nowhere. We're saying it came out of nowhere, but that relationship you were in forever didn't come out of nowhere, did it? Like all these different things, like all those things, were like it came out of nowhere. But the truth is, if we were to stop and ask, I bet a lot of the problems that we have are not just because of outside circumstances, 
but they're because of our own decisions and actions. Last week, I opened up my message talking about a lot of the chaos that we experienced when we were traveling on Christmas Day to visit Mandy's parents in Kentucky. So if you weren't here last week, I'll spare you the whole story again. You could watch it on YouTube. It's, it's a disaster. But I, I, if you flew Southwest during all that stuff, you, you, get, you feel my pain. But the whole trip was kind of like that because they lost our luggage. We got there. I'm driving back and forth between cities three hours at a time. They don't know where our luggage is. They have a few of our bags. They don't have all of our bags. I'm driving back and forth. The whole trip was that, basically, at least for me. So the whole trip was like that. And then the second to last day, we're in Mandy's hometown, and a pastor friend I had known for a while lives in that hometown, and he said, hey, let's go to breakfast. I said, sure. So we go to breakfast. It was a great breakfast. I get back in our rental minivan. I get back in the minivan, and I'm backing up and I'm in a hurry because I let the breakfast go too long because I talk a lot. And so I'm backing up and I'm backing up too fast and I slam into a delivery truck at the Waffle House <laughs> of all places, right? The Waffle House. I'm, I'm, I, I do this and I, I cannot even believe that just happened. I get out, I talk to the driver, I do all the things you gotta do. And then I get back in the car and I'm in one of those moments where I'm looking for someone to blame. I'm like, it has to be that guy's fault. It has to be his fault. He came out of nowhere. And then I'm driving. He didn't come out of nowhere, though. So I'm like, I'm wondering, like, somebody must have pressed a button in this car that turned off the rear sensor. That's what it must have been. And then I remembered I actually did it the day before. So I'm like, somebody must have done something. And I'm about to pull out of the parking lot. I'm like, I rate at somebody that I'm making up this story. And I, I look in the rearview mirror, and all I see are my own eyes. And sometimes when things are just so bad like that, all you can do is laugh. I started laughing. I looked at my own eyes, and I just went, it's you. <laughs> you did this to yourself. It wasn't because of outside circumstances. I had to get to the point where I had to own, I backed into the delivery truck in our rental van on a trip where everything was going wrong. It was me. And I think oftentimes we have to get to the same place in our relationship with God. I'm not saying every problem you're facing is your fault. I'm not saying that. Sometimes it is outside circumstances, but it's not always. And I promise you, in the midst of these times, God can get your attention if you'll let him. And if we cry out to God again, then we can be close to him again and live in the blessings that God wants for us. So again, could he, in your situation today, be trying to get your attention? Yes. So when God makes a mighty warrior, he will, number two, reveal who he is and the truth about who you are. Let me say that again. When God makes a mighty warrior, he will reveal who he is and the truth about who you are. In Judges chapter 6, 11 through 12, it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is actually one of several appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is called a Christophany. How do we know this? Because anytime that we see the angel of the Lord rather than an angel of the Lord, we know it's Jesus because regular angels don't allow people to worship them or call them the angel or Lord. So Jesus is sitting there with Gideon, looking him face to face in his lowest moments and giving him his true identity. So who is Gideon? Gideon is insecure, 
Gideon is fearful, fearful, actually kind of like my dad in his fear of heights. We'll be walking at the, the mall on the top floor, and if I get a little bit too close, even as my tall self, I, I'm, I'm not that tall, but even as he starts flipping out. It's as true. we go back to it's the true. text, it says in Judges 6, 11 through 12 again, the angel of the Lord came and sat down the, under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The reason why I repeated that Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press is because usually people would not thresh wheat in a wine press. They would thresh it on something called the threshing floor. These floors were usually higher up, and it was high enough so where the wind could, to, could get all the, the chaff. It's all the useless stuff that uh, you don't want when you're making wheat. Or, yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> and in the, uh, the, uh, the wine press, the wine press was usually down deep in a cave type thing, and it's, uh, it's like dark and scary and weird and <laughs> but but the wine press was a hiding place the threshing floor was no hiding place we see that Gideon was hiding in one of his weakest moments and God calls him a mighty warrior the definition of a warrior is a brave or experienced soldier or fighter what's what's so funny is Gideon was neither brave or a fighter why do, why do people have such a hard time believing what God has called them to do? We see that with Moses in the burning bush. God calls him to free the slaves, but oh no, Lord, I can't free the slaves. I'm inadequate. I can't speak. We see it with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you are called to be a prophet. Oh Lord, I can't be a prophet. I'm too young. And then we see it with Gideon. Oh, Lord, I'm the weakest clan in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. But God looks at all three of them and says, let me tell you who I am, and then let me tell you who you are. Good. Gideon, I understand that you're the weakest clan in Manasseh. I understand that you're the least in your family. But let me tell you who I am, and then let me tell you who you are. So who is God? He is the creator and giver of identity. And who are you? You are a mighty warrior filled with purpose and a destiny. So good. <clears throat> when God makes a mighty warrior, he number three, he builds our faith through a process. When God makes a mighty warrior, he builds our faith through a process. So like Aiden was saying, this is a Christophany. This is Jesus. It's the angel of the Lord. He's sitting down with Gideon, looking him in his eyes, and he's giving him his true identity. He's changing who he is on the inside. He's declaring something that no one else has seen that may not be the reality on the outside yet, but he's doing something on the inside. And this is how it starts. 
Our identity shifts, our calling shifts on the inside long before we see the fruit of it on the outside. When Jesus first called Peter to be the rock, he was the farthest thing from the rock that the church would be built on. We see this happen over and over and over again. So Gideon is insecure. He's still feeling the same things he was feeling before Jesus said he was a mighty warrior. He's still the same person. Now, now begins the process to build his faith. So Jesus declares what is now true over him. Now that truth has to sink in in a way where it starts to become the reality enough for Gideon to step out in faith and do what God has called him to do. The declaration of truth has to catch up to who he really was. I wanna read uh, Judges 6, 17 through 18 to you. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So Gideon's like, if you gotta really put yourself in his position here. We will read Bible studies and we'll look at this stuff and go, I mean, why, what, why was Gideon doubting? Why was he the way he was? Why didn't he just jump up and say, all right, if you're for me, who can be against me? Because he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. If a supernatural being sat down in front of you tomorrow and was like, I've called you to lead the United States Army into battle against ISIS, you'd be like, I need, I need to really check this with a few people before, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, right? So, I mean, you're, you really put yourself in Gideon's shoes, and, and you've gotta figure this thing out. And so Gideon's like, all right, if you're calling me to do this, um, wait right here, you know, don't go anywhere, wait right here, I'm gonna go make a meal, an offering. So Gideon goes in, and he cooks goat meat, and he makes some bread, and he brings it back as an offering to the Lord, and he sets it on a rock, and then Jesus, the angel of the Lord, says pour the broth over the meal offering, and he pours it over it, and then the angel of the Lord takes his staff, touches the offering, which is soaked in broth, and it immediately erupts in flames, and the offering is consumed. So now Gideon's thinking, all right, th this, this is apparently a powerful supernatural being who is claiming to be God, but, right, he, he's trying to figure this thing out. Judges 6, 22 through 24 says, then Gideon understood he had been talking to the angel of the Lord. So Gideon cried out, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to Gideon, calm down, don't be afraid, you will not die. So Gideon built an altar there to, to worship the Lord and named it, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Peace. So this is another way we know this is a Christophany is he encounters the angel of the Lord and he's wondering if he's encountered God, why he's still alive, right? Because the presence of God was so holy, it was lethal in the Old Testament. So Jesus, we look at who Jesus is, the nature of Jesus in the New Testament. He is the barrier. He is the middle ground. He is the bridge between our imperfection and God the Father's holiness. So the reason Gideon stayed alive is because he's talking to Jesus, right? It's amazing. But he's trying to figure this thing out. And, and we could look at this story, like I said, and say, why was he so filled with doubt? And we can make the story of Gideon and many other stories in the Old Testament and New Testament about how much they doubted rather than what I believe it's really about. Was there doubt in this story? Yes. Is there grace from, from God for us when we doubt? Absolutely. But I don't think this is a story of Gideon's doubt. I think this is a story about how he was minding his own business and God comes in and says, I'm gonna change your life forever in an instant. Everything's gonna change. 
You think you're this, but you're gonna be this. Your people are oppressed, and I'm calling you to be the leader to, ch- to do something about it. I mean, he's just taken back. He's trying to figure out, I mean, he's in a time where all these other gods are being worshiped. There's all these supernatural beings that people are talking about because Israel had allowed the worship of other gods to come into their land. And he's sitting down with this being trying to make sure this this supernatural person is who he says he is. It's not so much about his doubt, it's about the natural process that God takes people on to build their faith so what he claims their identity is can actually become who they are in the future. He's giving grace to Gideon and he's walking Gideon through the process and he's gonna say, let this sink in deep. I admire your careful consideration into what I'm telling you to do. I think a lot of people that are wondering what God's will is for our lives can learn a lesson from Gideon, because oftentimes we will have an encounter with God and jump and make make a decision quickly, thinking that faith is all about speed. Sometimes it can be, but most times it's not. I think Gideon was taking time and intentionality to seek and find what God's will actually was. And I think we can do the same thing. When we're facing big decisions, what is God calling me to do? I need to check this with sources, other people. Is this God? I need to take time and understand, just like Gideon, this is what God has called me to do. So it's careful consideration. Gideon was wanting to make sure. Judges 6, 23 through 24 says, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. I wanna hit this really quickly and I just think this is really profound and and a cool piece of the story. He calls the altar Jehovah Shalom. So he makes this altar after this encounter once he knows it's God and he calls it the Lord is my peace, Jehovah Shalom. We could read that and go, that sounds like a good spiritual thing to do, let's keep reading. But why? The name doesn't make sense. There was no peace. No peace. The the chaos was still out there. They were still in oppression. The false gods were still being worshiped. There was no army developed. No one was on his side yet. There was no peace. Why would he build an altar and have a revelation and build an altar and say, I'm calling it Jehovah Shalom? Because when you have a real encounter with the Prince of Peace and he tells you what you're called to do, you realize that peace does not come from the outcome of certain circumstances in my life. It comes from the one who holds my circumstances in his hands. He's saying, I can build an altar now and call it peace because I have relationship with peace. Not necessarily because I'm about to experience peace, but it was also a declaration of faith. It was a declaration of faith saying, if I encounter the Prince of Peace and I believe what he's saying, we will experience peace. And he's taking him on, Jesus is taking him on the faith building journey. He's building his faith. And all of a sudden we see one last little point in this point is that his courage is built through this process. I mentioned a second ago that false gods were running rampant in the land. They were worshiping false gods. Again, it blows our minds that the people of God, Israel, I mean, they, just a couple generations before this, they're walking through the Red Sea. They're seeing the miracles of God. How could they allow the worship of other gods to enter the camp, to enter the land? How could they allow this? And we look at them and go, oh, these people. And But so often, we don't set up and build wooden statues in our yard. Our neighbors don't necessarily do that, but we really have a tendency to worship other gods besides the one true God. And at this time, they were worshiping the god Baal, and they were worshiping the goddess Asherah. 
Asherah. But I wanna read this verse to you, Judges 6, 25 through 26. That same night, the Lord said to him, take uh, the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole beside it, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So now it's like, now I'm telling you you're gonna go win a battle out there against the enemy, but you also have to fight a battle within the culture of your own society. You've gotta stand up and fight a battle against what is standing against the one true God. It's the first commandment. Don't put any other God before God. But I think oftentimes, because we're human and because if we're not aware of it, we will slip into this pattern of completely breaking the first commandment, the first law. So who were these gods? Baal and Asherah. Baal was a God that we see oftentimes in the middle of the Old Testament, was a, a God that, uh, again, a false God, a lowercase g God that was worshiped from many different societies. Back then, ancient Canaanite God known as the king of gods or the king of life, or the God of life and fertility. So basically, this is a false God who mimics our God, Yahweh, claiming to be the God of life, the God of fertility, the king of gods. How in the world does, does Gideon's own father have an altar to Baal in their yard? But he does. That's how infiltrated their society was. And if we're being honest, that's how infiltrated our society is today. The Asherah, uh, the goddess Asherah was, this is the Asherah pole to the left, an ancient Canaanite Phoenician goddess of love, fertility, and sexual identity. So back then you would set up the, the altar to Baal and next to it there would be an Asherah pole made out of wood and it would kind of be a tree because she's the god of, she was the mother god. She was the god of fertility, the god of sexual identity. She was a god that could change from male, a goddess that could change from male to female. She would grant people their desires to change genders. There's all these things happening. We, we think so much of this stuff is new, but the same spirit that is alive today, lying to society, was the same spirit that was alive back then, lying to society, mimicking God, but bringing a complete counterfeit version of what God has already said. It's the same thing happening. The same thing. And we've got to build our faith through this process to a level where we all wanna go out there and do the big things God has called us to do. I wanna lead the army into battle. I wanna do those mighty things for God. But do we have the courage and faith enough to go into our culture first and to tear down what mocks God and to build back up what glorifies God? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. So Gideon started faithless. Didn't even know who Yahweh was, just the stories from the past. And in just these few encounters with Jesus, his identity changes, his faith is built, and now he's a completely different person. Yes, so when God makes a mighty warrior, he will bring victory by his power for his glory. When God makes a warrior, he will bring victory by his power for his glory. One of the most intriguing parts of this story that I believe is that God takes this already fearful Gideon, the underdog, and starts to shrink the size of his army. God wanted to leave no room for pride and no room for Gideon and his army to think that they, they did it on their own. We see in Judges 7, 2, it says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. 
or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So Gideon's army starts at 32,000 men. Why I say men is the men, they were just like shepherds and farmers and the men. And we see that the Midianites were 135,000 soldiers. They were trained killers. We see that God looks at this already impossible situation and says, Gideon, let's shrink it. Let's go. He says, Gideon, if anyone is fearful, tell them to leave. Tell them to go home. So 22,000 of Gideon's men left, leaving Gideon with 10,000 men. <sighs> this is the fun part. Gideon, God looks at Gideon again and says, Gideon, I hate to tell you this, but you still have too many men. Make the, the, make the people go get a drink of water, and if they cup it with their hands and bring it to their mouth, they can stay. But if they get down like a dog, like an animal, then they have to leave. 9,700 left. Gideon was left with 300 men. I think that God puts us in these impossible situations, not because he hates us, but because he wants us, us to lean on his yeah. Power. It's good. I know many of you feel like you can't do what God has called you to do, that the odds are against you. You feel like you're inadequate to do what he's called you to do, and you feel like it's beyond you in every way. Believe me, I've been there. Ever since I was a kid, I've always felt like God had called me to be in ministry. And me and my dad would go to coffee shops. I think they have a picture of it. Yep, there he is, little guy. Little man. And uh, we would write little sermons. He would preach his. I wouldn't preach mine. It's whatever. <laughs> but as I'm looking at this little boy, I remember strongly believing that I could do it. That I could, I could be in this whole ministry thing. That I could do what God has called me to do. But as I got older, things have started to cave in. English, English class was not the best for me. I've always struggled with writing. Dyslexia was a, was a big part. And, and honestly, school, I've just had to work a little extra hard at. But there was one night in particular, I got home from work, and my parents were sitting in the, on the couch, and I came home, and we started doing the whole future talk. And I know all the seniors and juniors absolutely hate that talk, I'm with you. <laughs> But this time, it was different. This time, my parents started speaking life and truth over my future. Now I'm looking back at this little boy, and I'm believing that now I can do what he was called to do. Now I'm fully remembering what God had always planned for me. It's not that I'm standing up here unaware of my own weakness, no, it's that I'm standing up here completely trusting in God's greatness. You've got to remember, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't know what you guys are going through. I don't know what God has called you to do. I don't know your weaknesses, but I know that God will use your weaknesses for his strength. 
just like 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Give Aiden a hand out, that was powerful. I think it's really cool that he would share that story and I know it's, it's very similar to many of your stories today. How can God use me? My, I think my favorite verse in this whole story though is Judges 6, 16 and, it, and it's tiny. And it just says this, the Lord answered when he was talking to Gideon, well, I can't do all these things and he just says, I'll be with you. There, there was no guarantee in all of these other things. His guarantee was simply this, Gideon, I will be with you. And what we know looking at scripture is that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The greatest gift that God gives us in Christianity is the fact that we serve a God that has relationship with us. We serve a God who is with us. Whatever battle you're facing, whatever the enemy is doing in your life, just like the Midianites with the Israelites in this story, it feels like God doesn't care, it feels like God isn't there, but he is. He's calling you to be a Gideon. I also mentioned looking at society right now where it's at, here's what I know. People will ask me, you know, what do you think, where do you think all of this is going? How bad do you think this is gonna get? And I said, well, looking at the pattern in history, we're probably coming to a point where we have to decide as a nation, as a society, if we're gonna cry out to God. And if we cry out to God, God raises up leaders and deliverers to do something about what's happening. I've said this before, but my belief is that when I look at someone like Aiden up here preaching, our teenagers in our church, our kids in our kids' ministry, the coolest thought ever about the future is, which one of these kids is gonna be a Gideon? Which one of them is gonna draw a line in the sand and say, no more? I'm gonna tear down what is dishonoring to God and I'm gonna build up what honors him and I wanna go to battle and I want to do what God has called me to do. That's what I believe today. Today I talked about Jesus. We talked about Jesus encountering Gideon, changing his identity. That's what Jesus came to do. In the New Testament, God the Father sent Jesus to be our salvation. He lived a perfect life, went to the cross. The Son of God went to the cross to take our place. Our sin, it should have been us on that cross, but in Christ's love for us, he went to the cross on our behalf. Why? To change our identity from lost to found from unsaved to saved, from eternal separation from God to eternally being with him. Jesus came to change our identity spiritually and eternally, but he also came in relationship with him to change our identity practically in this world. Because the world will say, you're limited to this, this is what you have to do, this is the only thing you can do, these are all the negative attributes, but Jesus steps in and says, I can defy all of those things. I wanna change your identity. You are a mighty warrior. You may be the least, but you're a mighty warrior. So today I wanna pray with you in closing. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, those two groups is who I wanna end with praying for today. The first group is you need an identity change spiritually in light of what Jesus came to do for us on the cross. You might be sitting here today and maybe you've said a prayer in the past or maybe you were raised in church, whatever your story is, maybe you've had a season of you just, you walked away from God and you've wondered if, if that decision was ever authentic. Whatever your story is, I wanna give you the opportunity today for that spiritual identity to change, lost to found, from unsaved to saved, from old creation to new creation, from being bound by sin to living in freedom from sin. But I also 
wanna pray for the second group of people that are like Gideon today and you go, I'm, I'm saved, but I, I just need a boost of faith today and courage. I need to be more aware of, of what's happening around me and I, I, I need to start believing what I once believed God had called me to do. That calling is not dead. Even based on your own decisions, mistakes you've made, that calling is not dead. God does not revoke callings. That calling is alive and it's on your life. Surrender it to God again today and be a Gideon. So again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would like to be included in the prayer, specifically today, that first part, the first part of the prayer where your spiritual identity, giving your life to Christ today, seeing what he did on the cross and saying, I believe that. I believe in Jesus. If that's you today and you would like to be included in that final prayer, on the count of three, if you would just raise your hand wherever you are. One, two, three. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Great. A lot of hands. You can put them right back down. And then also, if you're here today and you're just saying, I'm, I, I just need some encouragement today. I need some courage. If you just raise your hand where you are and say, I, I think it's time for me to be a Gideon. I need a boldness and a faith. Something's going on. The enemy's wreaking havoc. Whatever it might be, you're saying, I need faith. You can put your hands right back down. What's awesome about these moments at church is we're not just checking a box attending church. These can be encounters with God right now. God is here and he has made himself available to you right now. So as I pray, I want you in both categories to make this prayer your own. And my challenge for everyone in the room, don't leave the same as you came in today. Allow yourself to be encouraged. Allow the courage to be built. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you today. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here today. God, I pray for this first group in this prayer that raised their hand saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need a change radically. I need a new identity spiritually. I wanna go from lost to found, old creation to new creation, from being bound by sin to living in freedom, from eternal separation to eternity with you. Jesus, this is the moment. Your word says to call on your name and believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead and I will be saved. And Jesus, we believe that you're alive today. What relationship with me? Come into my life right now. Make me a new creation. I am turning from my sin. I acknowledge my sin against you. I acknowledge the need for what you did on the cross to erase sin and now to make me blameless in your sight. As I receive you, Jesus, receive me into your hands. And God, I also pray for this second group of people that just need courage today. Whatever battle they're facing, whether it's a diagnosis, a financial situation, God, whatever is going on in their lives today, relationally, Father, I pray right now that, that a miracle would begin, miracles that have already begun would come to fruition, God. I pray for a boost in faith right now and in courage because we can build the altar of peace right now because you are the Prince of Peace. We declare it, we have faith for it, peace in our situations right now, courage in our situations right now. Why? Because you are with us. We thank you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray, everyone said, amen, amen.